It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, Internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And we welcome you into the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, February 17th, 2011. Thank you for being a part of the program tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad. Jacob, great to be with you, as always, on Thursday night. Look forward to our Internet Bible Study group. We do look forward to our Bible study with you tonight. And if you're listening to us in the live version tonight, join in the chat room with other listeners. It is on the right of your video window if you're watching us from thevirtualbiblestudy.com. Uh, log in there with a just give yourself a nickname. Uh, no uh, other information is required, or you can use your Facebook account, or you can create an account on on the chat room software there. But uh, it's very easy for you to join in with other listeners there tonight. A lot of people watch us on a regular basis, but don't participate in the chat room, and it's very easy to do. So do and that hopefully tonight. tonight we're going to be uh, using your comments out of the chat room a lot. We send out our regular update questions, Jacob, but we haven't had very much feedback because I think the questions were a little longer and would have taken longer to respond to each of the questions by email. So we're looking forward to your sort of uh, spontaneous comments in the chat room tonight, and hopefully we'll be able to make a lot of use of those chat room comments. All right. The number to call is 877-381-4567. Email address to use is questions at collegeview.com. You said that the questions were a little bit harder. Explain uh, what well, we're talking about tonight. I don't necessarily mean they were harder, but it probably would have taken longer, longer to, to respond. Uh, okay. If you were going to write a lengthy commentary, it probably would have taken longer because our topic for tonight, Jacob, is hijacked Bible doctrines. Uh, we're, we're all familiar with the idea of hijackings, unfortunately. We know people hijack planes and do other things that, to take over something. Right. In other words, they take it over and try to get it to do something it wasn't intended something to do. Something that's good and, and, and perfectly harmless. Yeah. Uh, so they take something good, they try to use it for a bad purpose, hijack a plane and fly it into a building. Okay. Uh, so they take a, a, a normal good thing and they try to use it in a bad way. Uh, so what we have the idea tonight is we want to talk about hijacked Bible doctrines, doctrines that are biblical, but people have tried to misuse them. And so we're going to be talking about, we, we've selected four, there's probably dozens more, but we've selected four that we want to talk about. The first of them is predestination. Uh, what does the Bible teach about predestination, and how has this doctrine been perverted by false teachers? That's number one. So top, first subject, predestination. That is a Bible subject, but people have misused it. That's our point in our study tonight. Number two, what does the Bible teach about grace, and how has this doctrine been perverted by false teachers? Certainly grace is a Bible subject and an important one, but it has been misused. We want to talk about that. Okay. Number three, what does the Bible teach about the security of the believer? And how has this doctrine been perverted by false teachers? Again, that is a true Bible subject. The, the believer is to sense his security and his salvation, but it's been misused and false teaching has resulted. And, and number four. Number four, what does the Bible teach about the silence of the scriptures? And how has this doctrine been perverted by false teachers? Obviously, the Bible is silent 
add a little bit. So, but but people have there is a, there is a doctrine concerning how we should observe the silence of the scriptures that people have perverted. Okay. And so those are our four topics. Uh, we think they are all biblically biblically based themes, but they have been hijacked. They've been taken over by false teachers and used to to accomplish something that was never intended. So our topics are predestination, grace, the security of the believer, and the silence of the Scripture. All right. We look forward to hearing from you at 877-381-4567. Email questions at collegeview.com. And again, join in the chat room with other listeners tonight. The problem with the hijacked doctrines is that uh, they're perverted. People are perverting the doctrines of, of Christ. And it, uh, it what it does is it scares people away from the truths that are really well, those doctrines. And, and, and I think in a very real way, it deceives people into thinking things that are not true and, and therefore putting their eternal destiny at stake based upon things that are not true. Think about uh, think about hijacking of airplanes, for instance. Air, air, air travel is a very good thing. And, uh, a lot of people enjoyed it. And you, and you hope to get to your destination. Right. But how many people today are not flying at all because someone's hijacked plane? Yeah. Same thing with these, these biblical doctrines. How many people are staying away from these doctrines because they've been hijacked and then been used harmfully? Good point. All right. Yeah. We look forward to hearing from you. As I said, we didn't get much email response to our questions, but we did get one that I want to deal with right off the top. A, a listener named David, and I'm not sure where David is from, he sent in uh, a, a, a critical or challenging email. Mm -hmm. He didn't answer any of the questions. This is what he said. Since you are not infallible, how do you know your teaching is correct? It's just your non-authoritative, fallible opinion. Well, we hope it's not our uh, non-fallible uh, opinion, because if it is just our opinion, uh, you should turn us off immediately. We're trying to preach what the Bible teaches. Yeah, we have made this point before, and we, it's worth repeating on every episode of the Virtual Bible Study or every time we preach a sermon or every time we teach a class. Opinions, yours, mine, or anybody else's, are are not significant to establishing what people must do. Right. Uh, and and if, if you're able to determine that something is just a human opinion, then you have the option to accept it and agree with that opinion or to reject it. Right. It's just a human opinion. Everybody's an opinion. I think it's a true observation, Jacob, that people typically have opinions for reasons. In other words, I've got an opinion about what kind of car to drive. And I have that opinion for a reason. And I think it's a good reason. I, I, I don't hold to a, you know, as, as I was recently explaining in one of our Bible classes, you don't say, well, I got a really lousy opinion. You know, it's, it's a bad one. I've had it for a long time. I guess I'm just going to keep it. Right. You don't do that. You have opinions for reasons, and you think your opinions are typically good on cars, uh, on what restaurants to right. eat at. I, I, my opinion is this is the best restaurant to eat at because the food's always lousy. Yeah, no, you, you have an opinion for a reason. When it comes to religion, some things are matters of opinion. And we understand the Bible talks about matters that involve our opinions or judgment. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to those, we can submit to each other. It doesn't have to be our way, and the Bible teaches us to be submissive in those things. Right. But when it comes to a matter of God's truth, we don't have the option to accept or reject it. And so when we're teaching on subjects such as the ones we're talking about tonight, we want to know what the Bible says. We're not trying to enforce our fallible opinions. We acknowledge that our opinions are fallible, but the Bible is perfect. And we're trying to establish what we're teaching based on what the Bible says. And if that can be proved, then it takes it out of the realm of opinion and puts it in a realm of doctrine that has to be believed and accepted. And I don't think David really believes what he's uh, claimed here. If we were to take his email, how do you, uh, since we're fallible, 
and since we're we then uh, could present error, no one could teach at all. You couldn't you couldn't even go to passages that are very plain, like First Corinthians chapter six, nine, and ten, where it says that idolatry and adultery. Oh, that's just your opinion about that's idolatry. A, oh, yeah, we, we, no one could teach anything. Yeah, if we took his position. Yeah. So again. We want to stress that when we teach on the virtual Bible study, and, and we're, we're accepting criticisms from all who are listening, if you think we're wrong or you think that we've been enforcing a personal opinion, you, you feel free to say so. But if we can establish it from the Bible as being true, then you have to accept that and act upon it. All right. Well, let's get into the discussion tonight. Look forward to hearing from you. Thank you, David, for your email. We By the way, before we pass from that concept, for instance, we're going to talk about predestination here. There is truth and error on the subject of predestination. Mm -hmm. Either everybody has been preselected to eternal salvation or damnation, or men are free moral agents and have are able to determine their own eternal outcome based upon what they do. There's only those two views. Yeah. So somebody's right, somebody's wrong. That's not our opinion. We're going to see what the Bible says because not both of those opinions can't be right. All right, we want to hear from you. What about predestination tonight? Do you believe the Bible teaches predestination? We do. We think the Bible teaches predestination. We think it's a doctrine that's been hijacked by the false teachers. A lot of, uh, a lot of radical uh, comments people have made about the, the, the doctrine of predestination. Real quickly, Jacob, I go to the chat room. We said we we're going to try to pick up a lot of chat room comments tonight. And Nathan in the chat room has said we should start with Revelation 22, 18 and 19. that talks about adding to and taking away from the word of God. Revelation 22:18. I testify to every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. Exactly right. That's why it's so important for us to go to this book and rightly discern the things that God has taught. In Galatians chapter 1, Paul talked about people who were perverting the gospel. I think Paul uh, saw people who were hijacking Bible doctrines, if you will, uh, and even in the first century. Exactly right. All right. Well, what about predestination? There are a lot of, uh, yeah, as I mentioned, there are a lot of extreme uh, positions on this. And, and they even, go way back. Yeah. That means that people have been teaching this way back. Uh, for instance, John Calvin, hundreds of years ago, said, predestination we call the eternal decree of God, by which he has determined in himself what he would have to become of every individual of mankind. For they are not all created with a similar destiny, but eternal life is foreordained for some and eternal death for others. Every man, therefore, being created for one of the other these ends, we say, is predestined either to life or death. God, God determines. He wants to make uh, John you, there to, to go to hell. Yeah, and before you were born, or at least at the time of your birth, it was already predetermined whether you would enjoy eternal life or eternal damnation, according to John Calvin on the theory of predestination. Right. The Westminster Confession says, by the decree of God for the manifestation of his glory, some men and angels are predestinated to eternal, everlasting life, and others are foreordained to everlasting death. This is by the decree of God, they say in the Westminster Confession. God determines who's going to go to hell and who's going to go to heaven. Yeah. Uh, the Presbyterian Confession of Faith says, quote, the number of saved is so certain and definite that it cannot be either increased or diminished. It's, it's already said, set in stone, can't be changed. Unbelievable. Um, and then we have a, a quote here from uh, uh, Primitive Baptist, uh, who says, there are many from among all nations, kindreds, tongues, and peoples who will be saved from their sins, even those who have never heard the gospel of Christ, but it won't be because any poor sinners say yes, 
primitive Baptists have always believed that it was unnecessary for the gospel of Christ to be preached in order that sinners be saved from hell. They're hijacking some very important biblical doctrines here. With exactly right. That's a high. That's clearly a hijack. <laughs> that one's a, yeah. on, a, on a lot of different. Things. Yeah, yeah. That's that's a spiritual terrorism right there, Jake. <laughs> okay. What that guy said, uh, and we don't believe it. We don't believe it's true. What's wrong with predestination? Get in the chat room. Uh, tell us what you think are are the critical errors of those who teach predestination. I'm going to start out, Jacob, with saying that it definitely makes God a respecter of persons. certainly does. In other words, if he, he has created some to salvation and others to damnation, then he is respecting those that he is going to save unconditionally, and he has for no reason rejected those who he's going to send to hell uh, in a predetermined way. Acts 10.34, when Peter went to the house of Cornelius, and, I, and you remember the context there, here's a Jew going to the Gentiles, and that had never been done. Right. The Jews had always excluded the Gentiles, but it's been revealed now to Peter that the Gentiles are as welcome into the kingdom of Christ as are the Jews. And Peter opened his mouth and said, this is Acts 10:34. of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. God is not a respecter of persons. He is not a respecter of persons, and furthermore, since he is not a respecter of persons, we can determine that he doesn't want people to go to hell. The scripture is very evident on that. Not only does God not pick and choose, God wants everyone to go to heaven. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, it says, Speaking of God, who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God wants all men to be saved. He's not chosen between you and me as to one goes to heaven and one goes to hell. God wants all men to be saved. All right, exactly right. Got a question from Anthony in the chat room about that quote from the Presbyterian. Uh, Anthony, uh, um, in my notes, I simply have Presbyterian Confession of Faith. I assume that is their creed, but he asked if it, he asked if it was a Presbyterian creed, but I assume it is. I've got it listed under the, quote, Presbyterian Confession of Faith. All, All right. right. What else? Uh, join us in the chat room and tell you, tell us what you think are some of the critical flaws of predestination. We're up to break time. Let's take our first break. We'll come back. We'll wrap this up. We're going to go from predestination to grace. Grace will be our second time. When we get back from the break, though, we need to talk about how this hijacking really does harm the teaching the Bible does have on this doctrine of predestination. The Bible teaches predestination. We'll talk about that on the other side. We're going to take a break, and we'll take your comments on the other side. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. And in the chat room, if you're listening to us live tonight, don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Don't touch that mouse. The virtual Bible study will be back right after this. I'm Larry Raspberry, a member of the College View Church of Christ, with a question for you. Do you believe in parachutes? I suppose you do. You believe they exist? But that's not what I mean. There's a difference between believing something or someone exists and putting your confidence in it or him. One who has seen a parachute knows they exist but has never put his confidence in one. Trying one on while standing on the ground isn't faith either. Going up in a plane intending to jump out with a parachute on is not faith in the parachute either. Opening the door at the moment of truth and gazing outside to the ground is not faith either. It is only when one jumps out the door, counts to 10, and pulls the ripcord that he has actually put his faith in the parachute. Many of you believe parachutes exist. But only if you have actually put your faith in one. Many people in the world say they believe God exists, 
but only a few put their faith in him for salvation by doing what he says. We'd love to help you in developing a saving faith in God. If we can be of assistance, please contact us. Send an email to questions at collegeview.com or call us at 877-381-4567. And thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study. Hello, I'm Mick Law from Jennings, Florida. I love to listen to the Virtual Bible Study and hear God's Word taught every Thursday night. A streaming Bible study. Why didn't I think of that? Now back to the guys. And we are back on your weekly streaming Bible study, and we're glad that you're with us tonight. We're talking about hijacked Bible doctrines, doctrines that are in the Scriptures, that the Bible teaches about, but have been perverted and stolen and hijacked by false teachers and have uh, harmed what the Bible teaches on these subjects. We're talking about the doctrine of predestination tonight. The Bible does teach about predestination, Dad. We cannot deny it. It's very clear. The Bible yeah, teaches predestination. It's definitely a Bible doctrine. Ephesians chapter 4, 1, beginning verse 4, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us to the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good will or the good pleasure of his will. In verse 11, it says, in whom we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. The Bible teaches about God and the fact that he has predestinated. Yeah, that, that's a doctrine. But how does that work, Jacob? How does the idea that he predestined, well, notice that he predestined before the world how this was going to happen, that those who would come to him in faith and obedience would become his own people, that they would be saved. That's the predestined part of this. God had an eternal plan in place. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11 suggests that he had an eternal purpose that he accomplished through his son, Jesus Christ, and, and the church was a part of that eternal plan. But, you know, the, I might say, I, uh, let's say that I've got $500 that I'm going to give away. And, and here's my plan. I'm going to give $500. Tomorrow I'm going to give $100 each to the first five people I see wearing a ball cap backwards. So I have a predestined plan. I mean, I don't have $500 to give away. Please don't, don't misuse my example here. But, uh, if I, it, it, you know, but that would be a plan, and I would have predestined this plan. When I see a person with his hat on backwards tomorrow, I'm going to give him $500. And that's what God did here. I'm not trying to belittle the, the much more important significance of what God did, but he, he established a plan. He, he predestined that those who come to him in obedient faith would be saved. All right. Uh, we can't stand on this passage of of predestination and interpret in such a way that we have to ignore everything else that the Bible teaches. Ephesians chapter 1 does teach about predestination, but 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 4 does say that God wants all men to come to a, a knowledge of the truth. And 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, we're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So God wants all to come to repentance. We've got to harmonize these two concepts. And as you said, God has made this plan. And he's given us the choice of whether or not uh, we accept the plan that he's made. The Bible teaches through and through that man is a moral agent and capable in regards to obeying God or not obeying God. In jo one of the famous statements along this line in the Bible is in Joshua chapter 24 at verse 15. You remember it. It says, uh, um, oh, now uh, oh, I've got the wrong, wrong chapter. Oh, here it is, 24, 15. 
If it seem evil to you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served, which are on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whom, whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So you choose who you're going to serve. But I'm going to serve the Lord, Joshua said. Very clear statement of moral free agency. And a total waste of ink if the doctrine of uh, predestination down to the certain individual is true. Why in the world would God waste the ink and put, it, put that in the Bible? And why was he toying with the children of Israel telling them to choose? Because God had already chosen for them. They had absolutely no say in it. And so Joshua was up there teasing the children of Israel, saying, choose. But in fact, God had already chosen for them. It simply does not work. And you cannot harmonize it with what the yeah, and, and that's a, that's a, a very common rule of Bible understanding that that you cannot force a meaning on one verse that results in a contradiction with another verse. Exactly. All have to be harmonized. That's that's not our opinion. That's just the way the Bible has to be interpreted because God is not the author. First Corinthians chapter fourteen, I think about verse thirty-seven or eight. God is not the author of confusion. All right. He's not going to produce contradicting doctrines. And we see the hijackers who have hijacked the doctrine of predestination have a hijacked a doctrine that is biblical and is very comforting, Dad, if we understand it as God has presented it to us. And he's presenting it here as a comfort to the Ephesians. God has chosen this plan, and we can be a part of it. And that's a great comfort and a consolation to us. So that we're part of the plan that God has put in place before the world was even established. In the chat room, Danny in Mississippi suggests Acts 10.38 that we mentioned earlier. Great verse on the idea that God is not a respecter of persons. Uh, Nathan adds that verse 12, and I'm not sure which which chapter he's referring to there. Um, uh, He says uh, we have to trust in God and his teachings. Uh, Anthony adds, you could say we are predestined predestined in as much as Jesus and his sacrifice were planned before the foundation of the earth, 1 Peter 1.20. uh, KLM in the guest, uh, a guest in the chat room says the plan was predestined. We have the free will to accept it or not. Uh, Kevin adds all scripture is in harmony and has to be harmonized. Uh, there's a guest 275. I'm not sure where he's coming from and may disagree with us on this. If so, uh, you're welcome to say so. And the guest, uh, guest 275 says it amazes me. Folks think they know what God did. Idea a personal understanding perhaps, a knowing, I don't think so. We know what God did in so much as he told us what he did. Sure. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, it, it actually says that we can know the mind of God because the Spirit has revealed that to us. Right. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, verse 10, beginning, God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. No, we can't read God's mind, but we can read what he revealed to us. And so we can know what he did and what his intentions were by reading the inspired word of God. All right. 877-381-4567. Email questions at collegeview.com. We can really spend a whole hour or more on the doctrine of predestination. We really haven't even scratched the surface of what the Bible teaches about it and the scriptures that show uh, that the common view that many in the denominational world have of the predestination simply is not biblical. But we do need to go on because there are, sadly, many other doctrines yeah. that have been hijacked. We suggested we were going to talk about grace as another hijacked Bible doctrine. 
in the chat room a ways back there, Sharon in South Carolina had suggested Genesis 6, where it says in verse 8 that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So way back in Genesis and on throughout the scriptures, the, the subject of grace is an, import, is an important Bible doctrine. And another comforting doctrine uh, that uh, as, uh, you know, many people have ignored because of the hijacking that's gone on. Yeah, uh, uh, talk about the comfort, the kind of comforting verses that mention God's grace. I, I think of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, which in itself is a misused text. A passage that sadly some ignore because it has been so misused. Yeah, uh, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So grace is a great, powerful, important, necessary Bible doctrine. Unfortunately, some people have hijacked it or misused it. Uh, get in the chat room and let us know uh, um, what you think are some of the common errors or misapplications of the Bible subject of grace. One of them sort of overlaps with what we were talking about earlier, Jacob, and that is some people believe that grace is not available to all men. Right. But in the chat room, uh, Danny in, uh, in Mississippi has suggested a very important verse, Titus chapter 2, uh, where it says the grace of God, verse 11, that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. That verse says that the grace of God has appeared to all men. It's very plain. Now, it's not an opinion, and that's not a private interpretation. That's what the text says. That's what it says. How can it mean anything else? 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview. Com. The Bible teaches that God's grace has been made available to everyone, but there are many who have hijacked it and say it is not. Yeah, exactly right. Here's the Reformed. Here's a quote from the Reformed Doctrine of Predestination, page 151. Quote, if God has elected some and not others to eternal life, then plainly the primary purpose of Christ's work was to redeem the elect. Exactly. His grace, his, his work, his purpose was only for those who were predestined. So, in other words, predestination and this limited grace concept overlap because the God's grace only extended to those that, was, that, that he predestined for. The confession of faith from the Presbyterian Church says a similar thing. Well, that, that's the same quote we had earlier, Jacob. Okay, the number okay. of saved people so certain and definite cannot be decreased, increased or decreased. Right. So right. that means God's grace was not uh, for those who uh, it has not been chosen. Yeah, exactly right. All right. Um, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9 says, We see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste of death for every man. Every man, not just for the, the, the elect, not just for the predestined ones, but for everyone. So I, I think that's definitely a common misapplication of the subject of grace to say it's not available to everybody. All right. And furthermore, this idea of grace uh, that many in the denominational world have hijacked uh, the, the doctrine say that, that God's grace sort of works in mysterious ways, sort of moves you and uh, it comes upon you and uh, in such a way you really can't even resist it. That it's sort of, well, they even use that word, Jacob, irresistible grace. Yeah. Uh, and uh, they suggest that when it happens to you, it's going to happen and you can't stop it. I mean, you're going to be drawn to God. And you couldn't, you can't put the brakes on hard enough to keep him from drawing you in. You didn't choose it. You didn't do anything to cause it. It just sort of comes upon you like a magnet and uh, pulls you in, and you can't resist. Exactly right. Uh, 
We've got AP 2011 in the, in the chat room says, we can't be justified by the law. The law was given to us because of sin, Romans 3.20, in order to give a knowledge of sin. Now, since we can never be perfect, we need Christ. We are justified through faith in God, and his grace covers us. By no means do we sit back and not obey through our love for Christ. I think that's, uh, and I hope I'm understanding that comment accurately. Uh, I'm taking it to mean what I think is, also, is clearly the Bible truth. God made available to us what we could not accomplish for ourselves in the sending of his own son Jesus to die on the cross. But that does not preclude our necessary response in obedience to accept the, that grace, that gift that he offered through Jesus Christ. Accept it initially and live according uh, to the teachings of his grace. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ's Son. He made that gift available, but uh, the, that does not exclude what the Bible teaches about the fact I've got to step up and accept that gift that's been made available through Jesus Christ. All right, let us know your thoughts. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. We'll wrap up this idea of grace on the other side of the break. We'll get this week's bullet points and hopefully give you time for your comments to join in on the discussion tonight. But uh, grace is a doctrine that's been hijacked. It's very, a very biblical doctrine, a very fundamental and important doctrine, but it has been hijacked by the false teacher. And as a result, uh, it has hindered some people's understanding of this important doctrine. Let us know your thoughts about grace. And we also want to talk about our, our security as believers. Uh, what about our security and what about the silence of the Scripture? We've got a lot of ground to cover. It's going to go fast on the other side of the break. So don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study will continue right after this. Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this break and let everyone know what you think. The virtual Bible study continues after this announcement. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. Have you ever worked with someone who wouldn't do their share of the job? Perhaps you've experienced a job situation in which a co-worker was always shirking his responsibilities. It is a disgusting thing to be sure. These folks make it harder on everyone else, and you can count on it. Come payday, they are at the front of the line with their hand outstretched to receive what they haven't earned. We're sad to say that there are some church members who are lazy workers, too. They won't get involved in any of the important work of the church. They don't teach, won't visit. In fact, they often must be begged to simply attend the services with any regularity at all. These folks may not realize it, but they are creating an extra load for the other Christians who do work. They need to carefully consider what the Lord has said about laziness, both of the physical and spiritual sort. Proverbs 18, verse 9 says, He also that is slothful in his work is a brother to him that is a great waster. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 12 says, Be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. The terrible reality is that these folks will be expecting to receive a reward in the final judgment, and it just won't happen. So if you're one of those who fails to carry your own load, we hope you'll think about the seriousness of the matter. You will be sadly disappointed in the end for neglecting your duties now. You need to get to work. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. I am Nestor Sanchez from Arica, Chile, in South America. And I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. And this moment, I invite you to participate in this program, too. Gracias. Quit checking your email. The commercials are over and the virtual Bible study is ready to roll. Take it away, guys. We welcome you back to the virtual Bible study tonight, and we look forward to hearing from you at 877-381-4567. Email questions at collegeview.com. We do remind you this program is brought to you by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. We would encourage you to come and visit with us at the College View Church of Christ. We meet on Sunday mornings at 930, Sunday evenings at 6, and Wednesday evenings at 7. You're welcome at any of these meetings that we have, and we hope that you will come and visit with us. If you'd like to find out more about the, the Columbia 
or the College and Church of Christ, visit our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. If you're listening to us in our archive version, if you're podcasting this program tonight, you can find out more information about us, about what we believe, and you can listen to five years worth of program, almost six now, of the Virtual Bible Study, and we look forward to hearing from you if you have any comments about the things you hear. We're talking about hijacked Bible doctrines on the program tonight. We're talking about grace. The idea of our of our study is, Jacob, that people take good things and hijack them to bad purposes, like ter- terrorists hijack a plane and use it for something it was never intended to do, to bring down a building or something. People take Bible doctrines, good, wholesome, righteous, God-given Bible doctrines, and hijack them to try and teach things that were never intended. Right. And we're talking about, we talked about predestination. We're talking about a related concept of God's grace right now. And we said before the break, Jacob, that one of the misconceptions of, uh, about grace is that it is irresistible. Let me read to you a quote from the Westminster Confession about irresistible grace, what they believe. All those whom God has predestined to life and those only, he is pleased in his appointed and accepted time effectively to call to grace and salvation by Jesus Christ, taking away their heart of stone and giving them a heart of flesh, effectively drawing them to Jesus, yet so as they come most freely being made willing by his grace. And so, in other words, they don't even know what's happening. Yeah, he sort of reprograms. Yeah, he, he changes it. He, he changes them and draws them, it, and it's, it's irresistible. Uh, the, the Hiscox Manual for Baptist Churches says that regeneration consists in giving a holy disposition to the mind, that it is affected in a manner above our comprehension by the Holy Spirit in connection with his divine truth, so as to secure our voluntary obedience to the gospel. Now, well, I don't know how voluntary that would be if, if, if <laughs> If we had been changed and we couldn't think any differently, we, you know, we, we couldn't resist that grace. Okay. But the Bible teaches that grace is re, uh, uh, it is God's grace is responsive to our reaction. It's made available to everyone, but it is resistible. Yeah, I like the passage in Matthew 23, verse 37, where Jesus mentions he wants to show grace to the Israelites. He says in Matthew 23, verse 30, 37, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee. God's presenting his grace through the prophets, and they're stoning them and killing them. How often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings? And notice this, ye would not. Yeah. God wanted to save the Israelites, but they didn't want to have it. Look at a couple of other passages. James 4, verse 6, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He doesn't give it to everybody. He gives it. He, and if you resist him, he won't give it to you. He'll give grace to the humble. 1 Peter 5, verse 5, beginning, God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. So, again, grace is resistible. It's available to everybody, but it can be resisted. You've got to come to God. We had a question in the chat room, Jacob, by uh, Adam. He says, uh, let me back up to this. He says, speaking of irresistible, the Holy Spirit baptism occurrences didn't exactly seem to be voluntary, or perhaps I'm wrong about that. Uh, I don't believe they were voluntary either. I think they were involuntary. But I also do not believe that Holy Spirit baptism was uh, saving. People weren't saved by Holy Spirit baptism. I think the best place to show that is in Acts 10. Really, we only have two instances of Holy Spirit baptism recorded in the New Testament, that of the apostles on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2 and the household of Cornelius on, in Acts 10. Uh, in, and it says in verse 44 of Acts 10, while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Spirit fell on them which heard the word. Uh, when this is retold in chapter 11, 
Peter says that uh, he, he relates this, Acts 11, verse 15, I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them as on us at the beginning, and I remembered the word of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed baptized water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. Uh, uh, so he, he related what happened to Cornelius' household as Holy Spirit baptism. But notice that after the Holy Spirit baptism took place in Acts chapter 10 at verse 44, in verse 47, as Peter said, can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. There was the baptism for their salvation. The Holy Spirit baptism was a sign was from a sign. God, but it was did not affect their salvation. Same as on the day of Pentecost, the other instance of Holy Spirit baptism, it was a sign that these men were speaking what God wanted them to speak. Yeah, exactly right. right. Now, that's an important and hijacked Bible doctrine, Jacob, the doctrine of grace. It overlaps with the next hijacked doctrine we want to talk about, and that is the security of the believers. In regards to grace, some people say that there's nothing you can do to fall out of God's grace once you're in it. And that leads us to a discussion of a much-abused Bible doctrine, and that is the doctrine of the security of the believer. And we want to talk about that. In the chat room, we'd love to hear from you. What do you think about how... People misuse the idea of the security of the believer. First of all, I think it's Before should... you get into that, Adam says he just wants to be clear. My question didn't necessarily resolve around, revolve around salvation. I think God's grace includes salvation, but it goes beyond that like his providence. I think uh, Adam was just trying to present maybe an argument someone might make. Yeah, well, yeah exactly. Right. And I agree with you, Adam, that, that there's a lot of aspects of God's grace. We're talking especially right. about God's grace relative to our salvation. salvation right. But I'm like, I, I agree with we may, but we, we, we missed a point there about God's grace we should have included. God's grace includes many aspects. Well, when, when, it, when it rains, when the sun shines, right. the, the, uh, we are the beneficiaries of God's grace. Right. Okay. Right. Good point, Adam. Okay. All right. 877-381-4567. Email questions at collegeu.com. Security of the believer is a doctrine that's been hijacked and hijacked galore by many in the denominational world today. Yeah. Uh, again, like we've been trying to stress in each of these, Jacob, the idea that God wants us to feel secure in our salvation is a good thing. Uh, you know, the, the Apostle Paul, one, one of the strongest statements of his confidence was some of the very last words that he wrote by inspiration in Second Peter or Second Timothy, or Second Timothy 4, Beginning verse 6, for I'm now ready to be offered in time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Paul had confidence in his salvation. I believe that the Lord wants us to feel confident in our salvation too. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, Paul said in verse 13, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. We don't have to sorrow uh, like others when we lose a, a Christian brother or sister. We have hope, and God wants us to have that hope. That's one of the great blessings. Jesus, so, I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Jesus had made uh, uh, statements in John chapter 10, verses 28 and 29 about our security. They're very comforting as well. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. We have great security there presented by Jesus. Now that passage, as well as many of these others, though, have been hijacked. Absolutely. They've been misused. Here's what the Westminster Confession says. This is chapter 17, 17 section 1. 
quote, to whom God hath accepted in his beloved, effectually called and sanctified by his spirit, can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace, but shall certainly persevere therein to the end and be eternally saved. So that's a very plain statement. You can't fall from grace. Uh, we have another that we've used on the Virgin oh, yeah. Bible study before, Sam Morris of the First Baptist Church in Stanford, Texas. Is he, is th is he still alive? No, this is, this is an old quote. This was from a long time ago. I'm sure, I, I'm just almost certain he couldn't I still be alive. Sure this, been around, this has been around for a long, long time. But here, we got to read this again to tell you how some of these people have hijacked this doctrine of the security of the believer. He says, quote, We take the, the position that a Christian's sins do not damn his soul. The way a Christian lives, what he says, his character, his conduct, or his attitude toward other people have nothing whatever to do with the salvation of his soul. All the prayers a man can pray, all the Bibles he may read, all the churches he may belong to, all the services he may attend, all the sermons he may practice, all the debts he may pay, all the ordinances he may observe, all the laws he may keep, all the benevolent acts he may perform will not make his soul one whit safer, and all the sins he may commit from idolatry to murder will not make his soul in any more danger. The way a man lives has nothing whatever to do with the salvation of his soul. That's pretty plain, Jacob. Absolutely, and uh, it, that is a, a logical conclusion for those who hold this doctrine, in that uh, there's nothing that you can do in order to be lost. Uh, there, you could try as hard as you want, and you could live as wildly and as uh, ungodly as you want, as Sam Morris said, and you'll be saved anyway. What do the Scriptures teach, though? This is a doctrine that's been hijacked uh, very clearly, that, uh, that this, is, this cannot be according to what the Scriptures One of the things, Jacob, that I think, clearly proves that, that what they're saying there about grace can't be true, that you, know, that you can't fall from grace, that you're eternally secure. That can't be true. Else, why, why the warnings of the Bible? The Bible is full of warnings that tell us that we need to be careful lest we fall. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, it says, uh, Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Uh, in Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, the Lord said, Be thou faithful unto death, and I'll give thee a crown of life. And all kinds of warnings like that and admonitions to remain faithful. You don't give warnings unless there's a real potential danger. When, right. you're, when you're driving down the highway and you see one of those signs that says, Sharp curve ahead. Right. But you're on a dead straight section of road that doesn't turn for the next 20 miles. You think, whoever put that sign up was out of his mind. That's crazy yeah, to you give a warning. Uh, there's no danger. Or you go on a flat stretch of road where no bridge is in sight, and you see one of those signs that says bridge is ice uh, uh, you know, before roadways. Who cares? I'm yeah. not on near a bridge. Yeah. So you don't give warnings if there's not uh, the reality of danger. And so we, we have to understand that the fact the Bible does give those warnings indicates that it's possible for a person to fall from grace. I've got a list of th some things here that the Scriptures teach, Jacob, that you can do to your faith. Your faith can be overthrown, 2 Timothy 2.18. It can be cast off, 1 Timothy 5, verse 12. It can be departed from, 1 Timothy 4, verse 1. You can make shipwreck of the faith, 1 Timothy 1, verse 19. Now think about this, Jacob. Using just those descriptives that we've just read, and those all, by the way, were from uh, 1 and 2 Timothy. Could a person, who ha could a person still be saved who, whose faith has been overthrown who has cast off his faith, who has departed from his faith, and whose faith was made shipwrecked. And yet, if, if this perverted doctrine of once saved, always saved is true, then you'd have to say that's true. 
his faith was overthrown. He cast off his faith. He departed from his faith, and his faith was a shipwreck, but he's still saved. And it's ironic that those who hold to this doctrine also often hold to the uh, doctrine of salvation by faith only. Yeah. You, you can be saved with only, all you have to do is believe, but you don't even have to believe uh, yeah. by, in the end, and you, you'll be saved. Again, the, the Bible is just full of important warnings. First uh, Peter 5, verse 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walk about seeking whom he may devour. First um, Corinthians chapter 10, at verse 12, uh, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall, and just over and over and over again, we've got all these kind of warnings. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 20 through 22, very clearly and graphically, almost make you sick to your stomach if you read it, talks about uh, how we can live in such a way as to be lost in Second Peter chapter 2, verse 20. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed through are wallowing in the mire. Very clearly, Dad, you can live in such a way as to be lost. Exactly. So, uh, again, all of that doesn't make any sense if, if the doctrine of once saved, always saved, or the security of the believer. Now, again, we believe the Bible teaches the security of the believer, but this hijack doctrine of the security of the believer, none of those warnings make any sense if you can't lose yourself. All right, let's talk about what the Bible does teach about it when we get back from this break. When we get back, we go to the top of the hour. We still have to talk about the silence of the Scriptures, but the, the doctrine of uh, the security of the believer has been hijacked, and as a result, many are ignoring what the Bible does teach about the security of the believer, comforting passages, encouraging passages that we want to look at when we get back. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study will continue after this. Are you listening? There's going to be a test on this stuff. Stay tuned. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. Hello, everyone. I'm Monty, a member of the College View Church of Christ. So if you've been hearing all about the College View Church of Christ on the virtual Bible study, and are interested in finding out more about the church. But you live hundreds of miles away from Columbia, Tennessee, and can't come and visit with the congregation to find out more. There's no reason to fear. After all, we live in the 21st century. Here's what you can do to find out more about the College View Church of Christ. First, why don't you check out our website while you're listening to the virtual Bible study? You'll find important information about the church there, including bulletin articles there on various subjects, and can even listen to sermons that have been presented at the College View Church in the past. Secondly, if you have questions about the church or about any Bible teaching, why don't you send an email to us and let us know how we can help. Send your questions to questions at collegeview.com. That address, once again, is questions at collegeview.com. We can even have a personal Bible study with you over email if you desire. And finally, if you would rather talk with someone in person, give us a call at 931-381-4567. That's 931-381-4567. You can call this number anytime. If you don't get an answer, leave a message and we'll call you back as soon as we can. We're glad you're listening to the virtual Bible study and hope to hear from you soon. My name is Steve Novorak, reminding you to listen to the virtual Bible study every Thursday night at 8 o'clock Central Time. Share your comment with the world. Call in now and be a part of the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. And welcome back into the virtual Bible study tonight. We're going to the top of the hour talking about hijacked doctrines and one that has been clearly hijacked is the doctrine of eternal, or not, of, of, of uh, security of the believer. The Bible does teach about uh, security of the believer, and passages like uh, the one referenced by Kevin in uh, Hot Springs, Arkansas tonight, if I can get to his comment, 
He references Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which entereth into that within the veil. We have great hope and uh, security as believers that God uh, will be with us and that uh, God will save us in the end if we live as he has instructed. Yeah, and th- there's just so much that can be said about the important confidence that God wants us to have in our salvation, but also the reality that we can lose our salvation if we don't remain faithful to the Lord. But no one can force us to be lost. Uh, God wants us to be saved, exactly. and no one can uh, prevent us from being saved if we will live as we should. So the devil cannot tempt us in such a way that we must be lost, that we must give in. We can have great confidence that no one can take us out of of Christ's hands, and so uh, we uh, have great confidence as believers. Okay, we got one other subject that we wanted to add in this mix, Jacob. We were talking about hijacked Bible doctrines. We've talked about predestination and grace. By the way, we got an email from Don in Antioch, Tennessee, and it came into it. He had an answer. He disagrees with us on predestination, and he he had an answer, but we didn't get it till we had already passed from that topic, and so it's not going to be workable for us to back up and catch that rather long email. Uh, Don, we appreciate you listening, and we've talked before, and you know that we disagree on the predestination. Yeah, we've studied so. with Don about that for about almost 10 years. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, it, it, great to hear from Don. Appreciate you being out there. All right, let's talk about the silence of the Scriptures. And someone might ask, how can you talk about silence? Well, so we're just going to sit around and listen. <laughs> we're to just going to sit here and look at the camera and not say <laughs> got the rest of the time off. <laughs> no. The, Silence is an important thing to consider, and some, again, have perverted the idea of the silence of the Scriptures and what we can learn when God says nothing. There, there are two possible views when it comes to the silence of the Scripture. One is that when God has not spoken, we are at liberty to act. We can do whatever we want. So in other words, the idea of silence gives freedom to do what you want. The other is when the Bible is silent, we must be silent. We can only do those things which are authorized. Uh, now, this this debate or argument has gone on for a long time, and we can go back. Uh, Tertullian, for instance, who lived in the second century A.D., said, "Some say that a thing which is not forbidden is freely permitted. Uh, I should rather say that what has not been freely allowed is forbidden." In other words, back in the second century, it was already an issue. They were dealing with it back then. Tertullian was right. He said, "What's not been allowed is forbidden." But there were some who said, if it's not specifically forbidden, we can do whatever we want. Way back then, Martin Luther went through an evolution of thought, went from a good idea to a bad one over time. Of course, he, he lived in the 15th century, and he wrote, first of all, his first view was whatever is without the Word of God is by that very fact against God. Mm-hmm. He, he was right. But he began to change. Later, he wrote, nothing ought to be set up without scriptural authority, or if it is set up, it ought to be esteemed free and not necessary. So you, you can do it, but don't bind it. You can't it. bind it. And then finally he said, what is not against Scripture is for Scripture and Scripture for it. And so he got real liberal over time with his view. Ulrich Zwingli, who was a contemporary of Martin Luther, said, practices not enjoined or taught in the New Testament should be unconditionally rejected. He was conservative, and we think he was right in that view. Now, again, those are just men, and that's just their comments. What can, we, what can we deduce from the Scripture by way of knowing whether if, when the Bible is silent, we are at liberty to act? But the hijackers are saying if God doesn't say we can't do it, we can do it. If God didn't say not to, we can do it. They're using that uh, argument in the area of how we worship God. If God didn't say don't do this, don't play instruments, 
Uh, don't use the flying trapeze in the worship. We can do it. People are hijacking this idea and are using it. Uh, if, the, if the Bible doesn't say you can't, you can. If right. it doesn't specifically say you can't, you can. That's right. that's the argument. Okay. Uh, we've got in this email from Don that we mentioned earlier, he does mention a, a comment on this question about the signs of Scripture. He quotes N.B. Hardeman uh, in his famous tabernacle sermons at the Ryman Auditorium in Nashville back in 1928. Uh, here's the quote. Luther said, my conception of the church and of worship of God is this. We are allowed to practice anything unless the Bible specifically forbids it. We were quoting Luther earlier, and Hardeman did too. Luther's, Luther's question was, where does God say thou shall not? If a thing has not directly and positively, uh, if a thing was not directly and positively prohibited, Luther felt justified in doing it. John Calvin said, let us practice nothing unless the Bible specifically authorizes it. His question is, where does God command it? There is more count. Yeah, where does the God command, demand it? He, uh, Hardman went on to say, there is more Calvinism about me in this statement than in anything I've ever read from him or about him. <laughs> in other words, Hardman said, I don't usually agree with Calvin, but I think Calvin was right on that. All right. Thank you, Don, for sending that in. Appreciate that, that comment tonight. Well, uh, the hijackers have taken this idea of the silence of the Scriptures, and they've perverted it and said it is permissive, that silence is permissive. And we believe the Scriptures teach that silence is prohibitive. And uh, there are many, many passages, Dad, as you alluded to, that teach us this fundamental fact. Yeah. Uh, in the chat room, Guest 323 mentions Nadab and Abihu as a great example from the Old Testament, showing that a thing— even. Uh, the Bible was silent. Nadab and Abihu were sons of Aaron, and they offered incense to God using strange fire, apparently fire obtained from a source not authorized by God. Now, God didn't say, don't get your fire over there. He had told them where to get fire for the burning of incense. They got it from apparently a different source. God didn't say, don't do that, but he did say what he wanted. They didn't do it. And they didn't do it. And they died for it. And Nadab and Abihu, great example. Yes, 323 says, I'm pretty sure the world today would think Nadab and Abihu would have been fine in their choice of fire. And I agree. Uh, many in the world today would say, well, what's wrong with that? Yeah. God said there's something wrong with it. Yeah. Uh, and Anthony says people today would say it's all just about our heart. As long as the heart is in the right place, you can do anything you want. Yeah. And if you're doing anything you want, your heart is not in the right place. The scripture is very clear about that. Adam adds in Nadab and, Abi Nadab and Abihu found out the hard way. I, I think that's exactly right. Uh, Noah is a, is a good positive example. Uh, Genesis 6.22 says, Noah, thus did Noah according to all that God commanded him, so did he. The, the New International Version of that verse says, Noah did everything just as God commanded him. You know, we've asked the question before, what if, you know, what if Noah had used, uh, instead of gopher wood for the ark, what if he had used walnut or cherry or oak? I think everybody I've ever asked that question said, no, he couldn't do that. But he didn't say not God to. God didn't say not to. He told him what he wanted. He didn't tell him, now don't use and then list all the other kind of woods that were available. He said, use that kind. Noah knew to do what God said and not anything else, and he was commended for it. So the silence of God in the study of Noah's uh, example is, is a very good one to prove. We do what he says. We leave alone. We don't act. We are not authorized to act based upon what God has not said. You Finally, what about Jesus and his priesthood today? There's an important uh, argument made upon the silence of the Scriptures in Hebrews chapter 7, Dad, about, uh, about Jesus. And uh, 
the Hebrew writer there very, very clearly says silence is prohibited. Yeah, Hebrews 7, verse 12, again, and I saw this earlier in the chat room, and I think it's really a great point, maybe one of the best ones to demonstrate. Yeah, Paul this. says that. Paul that. did. Okay, yeah. Paul uh, made this point from Hebrews 7, beginning verse 12. For the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change also the law. For he of whom these things are spoken pertaineth to another tribe, of which no man gave attendance at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah, of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning priesthood. In other words, in order for Jesus to be our priest, there has to be a change in the law, because the law of Moses said the priests all had to be Levites. But it just said they need to be from Levi. It said Levi. But it didn't say any. The Hebrew writer says, it didn't say anything about Judah. He didn't have to write all the 11 tribes. It, 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 neither pro nor con. It said nothing about Judah. Therefore, Jesus could not be a priest under that Old Testament law because he was of the tribe of Judah. Uh, and, and so the Hebrew writer there definitely makes an argument from silence. Now, again, this idea has been hijacked because people have imagined that you can go off and, and do other things. we got somebody wandered into camera view here. <laughs> uh, uh, people have, have suggested that you can do whatever you want as long as the Bible is silent. One of the, one of the great examples, one of the great contemporary examples, we're just about out of time, the instrumental music question, Jacob. Uh, when we ask people, where is the authority for instruments of music in our worship? You can't find them in the New Testament, that's for sure. I think, I think, I think Micah agrees with that, yes, that point. You, you, you can't uh, find any reference to instrumental music in New Testament worship, but people say, where does the Bible say not to? It doesn't, the New Testament doesn't say you can't, and so they believe that they're authorized to have instrumental music. And that's a classic example in the modern day of people misusing or hijacking this idea of the silence of the Scripture. Yes, 323 says if it doesn't matter to God, he wouldn't have gone into such great detail. Uh, God never says anything that's unnecessary. Imagine going into a restaurant. You specify what you want. You give great detail about what you want on your hamburger, for instance. And they come back and bring you a hamburger with everything on it. They say, you didn't say not to. That's what people are doing to God. Exactly right. All right. You, you, you wouldn't want to be treated that way, but they think it's okay to treat God that way. Right. In other words, you, you, you would probably storm out of that restaurant right. if they treated you like that. But it's okay to treat God they that way. They got the nerve to do that to God. Well, we're out of time, and uh, we, I think somebody else wants us to quit here. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Well, I think a, a good and important necessary study, Jacob, right. hijacked Bible doctrine. There's Not more. Bad. By the way, there's plenty more, too. We picked four, but there's plenty more. All right. Uh, well, we appreciate your time tonight. Thanks, Jacob. And uh, Dan's been behind the controls all night, done a great job, Dan. Thank you for being here, and thank you for being on the other end of the line tonight. We appreciate you being a part of the program. Hope you'll make plans to be back here next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired word the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.